0: Just when you start feeling good, you feel the itch. (sighs) Is it a yeast infection? Let's talk about it. To the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I am Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor. And this week we are talking about a very common topic. And you know, I'm so happy that you're joining me because I really love it when we chat and we always talk about very interesting things. And after our conversations, the conversation keeps going, especially when you let me know your questions, your thoughts, when you reach out on social media. So I love all of that. And last week we talked about bacterial vaginosis. Bacterial vaginosis, which we commonly cause an infection, call an infection, but it's really like an overgrowth of certain bacteria in the vagina. And someone mentioned boric acid, and we didn't talk about boric acid in the podcast, we're going to talk about boric acid in this, in this conversation today, but that is a treatment option that we sometimes use for bacterial vaginosis if you keep having symptoms and it doesn't seem to improve or go away. So like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit more um, in just a moment. But for today's topic, have you ever been in the middle of something and then the itch hits you? At first, it might be like just a little vulvar vaginal itch every now and then, which is completely normal, but then it becomes a constant, unrelenting itch that must be scratched. <laughs> and the more you scratch, the more you itch. Eventually, you're left with a burning sensation in your vulvo vaginal area that makes you cry out, why, God, why? Sounds like you may have had a yeast infection. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so I know that's a bit dramatic, but when you have a yeast infection, if you've ever had one or if you've known someone who's had one, it can be really just really all-consuming, right? That's like if you have some mosquito bites and they just don't stop itching and you're scratching, scratching, scratching. So having that on your vulva or your vagina, can you imagine? It's not a great sensation. And I think many of the texts that I've gotten from friends for prescriptions have, I think the majority of them have been for treatment of yeast infections. So what is yeast? yeast also known as candida is a type of fungus that lives on many surfaces and it also lives in our vaginas it is the second most common cause of vaginal infection after bacterial vaginosis and there are different types of candida species with candida albicans being the most common How common, you ask? Well, about 30 to 50% of women report having at least one yeast infection in their lives, which means there's a 50% chance that you have two. It's more common in reproductive age women and less common before puberty and after menopause, and there's a reason for that, that has to do with estrogen estrogen, the hormone made by our ovaries. It plays an important role in modulating and controlling the vaginal environment. It encourages the colonization of the vagina by lactobacilli. Basically, it encourages there to be a whole bunch of lactobacilli. And that creates lactic acid, right? Makes sense, lactobacilli, lactic acid. And that lactic acid keeps the vagina at a certain pH level, a certain level of acidity. It's slightly acidic and it allows all the microorganisms that live in our vaginas, specifically the yeast and all the different types of bacteria, to live in harmony. Without much estrogen, there really aren't as many microorganisms in the vagina, and so bacteria and fungus are less common, which is why it's less common in people who don't have higher amounts of estrogen. Well, what are the symptoms? While some people can be asymptomatic, meaning they don't feel a thing, and you look and you're like, oh, it looks like you might have a yeast infection, but they're like, oh, I feel fine. The most common symptom that people have is vulvar or vaginal itch. And this is not just like an occasional itch. This is like a persistent, I need to keep scratching. Other symptoms include burning, swelling, painful urination, so like burning with urination, and pain with sex. A yeast infection could also be accompanied by abnormal discharge, which could be white, thick, and clumpy. If you hear us say a discharge that kind of looks like cottage cheese, that's similar to a discharge that you see with a yeast infection, But sometimes you might notice like some green or yellow discharge as well, which can still all be part of a yeast infection. And the smell is yeasty like a loaf of bread. (laughs) Seriously. With that said, you don't always have a yeast infection by itself. You can have a yeast infection with other types of infection, but let's keep going. How is a yeast infection diagnosed? Well, once you seek treatment, your healthcare provider is going to ask you a bunch of questions about your symptoms. And I know the first time we get an itch and we start itching, we we probably don't seek treatment. We probably go to the store and see, okay, what can I find for this and try like a you know, monastat three day or seven day or something like that. Which if you treat it like that and your symptoms go away and you're fine and you don't have anything, that's probably fine. But it doesn't always make the symptoms go away for everybody. So You might do that, but you might also seek treatment. And once you do that, your healthcare provider is gonna be ready for an exam. So they're gonna ask you questions about your symptoms, where are your symptoms located? Are they in the vagina? Are they in the vulva? They're gonna ask about your sexual history. They're gonna ask about your hygiene practices and relation to your period of your symptoms. All of these are important questions to ask because they're all gonna give us information that can help us kind of figure out, does it sound like yeast? Does it sound like maybe yeast and something else? Or does this not sound like yeast at all? They're also gonna ask about your medical history, and that can affect, your, can affect your vaginal environment also. For example, people with uncontrolled diabetes have a higher risk of yeast infections. And we're gonna touch on that a little bit later, but just something to keep in mind. So after reviewing your symptoms and your history, it's time for an exam. Your GYN is going to perform a pelvic exam and they're going to take a sample of your discharge. So we usually have like a little thin white cotton swab we just put it in the vagina and use it to just remove some of the discharge and That sample, we either send to the lab for a fungal culture or something called PCR testing. You may be familiar with PCR testing because that's how the COVID tests are done. But it's a test that looks at genetic material of a pathogen and it amplifies it. It makes a whole bunch of copies of it to look specifically for that pathogen or whatever you're looking for. So in this case, it's going to amplify the genetic material, the DNA or RNA to look specifically for yeast. Um, So they're going to do send that sample to the lab for a fungal culture or a PCR test. And then they may also instead or also perform what's called a wet mount. And we kind of touched on that in the last podcast, but a wet mount and it's called wet mount microscopy because we take a swab of your discharge, we put it on a little thin glass slide, and then we use a little bit of potassium hydroxide, KOH, and we look at it. And we're really, we're looking for yeast. We're looking for spores. We're looking for pseudohyphae. We're looking for hyphae. That's what we're looking for. Do we see yeast present? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Um, but seeing yeast in a person who is complaining of yeast symptoms is a slam dunk diagnosis. Okay, you've got yeast. When you don't see the yeast, that can make it a little more tricky. How do you get a yeast infection? How is it caused? Well, most yeast infections are caused by the fungus Candida albicans, and there are multiple risk factors. For example, if you use an antibiotic, that's going to decrease the number of bacteria in the vagina. Either it's going to kill them, or it's just going to decrease the numbers or make them less active, and it's going to do that without decreasing the yeast because it's an antibiotic. It is not an antifungal. And yeast is a fungus. So, once you've decreased the lactobacilli, the bacteria, that is going to allow the yeast to grow. And now they're unchecked, and it's party time. And that could lead to an infection. And that's really how I think of it. It's like, ah, now they're unchecked, they can go about their business, be free, multiply, um, and then you're the one that has to deal with the symptoms, right? Other risk factors include having a higher amount of estrogen, like in pregnancy. During pregnancy, you have higher estrogen, or during hormone therapy, if you're taking like really high dose birth control pills, or um, both of these things can increase your risk of yes, uh, oh, goodness, your risk of yeast infections. Try saying that five times fast. Finally, medical conditions like diabetes. So we kind of touched on that before, or HIV conditions that cause um, your immune system to be compromised or weakened, they can also increase your risk. How do we treat them? That's the money question. Well, we usually treat them with antifungals, antifungus antifungals, Um, and they're usually taken one to three times depending on the severity of your infection. Okay, but like, what if it doesn't go away? What if you do the treatment and you're still having symptoms? Because that happens sometimes. Women who experience yeast infections are likely to have at least two episodes in their lifetime. And sometimes it can seem like you just keep having them. If you're having four or more episodes a year, that's considered a recurrent yeast infection. And that could be due to the fact that you still have the same risk factors, or sometimes it's because you don't have a candida albicans infection. Maybe it's another type of candida species, and some of those species are really difficult to treat. In these situations, we often treat with multiple dis, uh, multiple doses of antifungals by mouth, as well as antifungals that you can apply to the vagina and the vulva, excuse me, specifically to the vulva. If the infection still persists, or it's not candida albicans, we may have you use boric acid suppositories. Of note, they go in the vagina, they do not go in the mouth boric acid can be toxic if you ingest it. So it's really important to know that. And it's also very important to place it high, way up high, out of reach of children and all the little fingers that like to get into things and try things out. Are yeast infections sexually transmitted? No, they're not. Can you have sex while you have a yeast infection? I do not recommend having sex when you have a yeast infection and it's really due to increased discomfort. So you think about the friction, right? And with that friction, think about inflammation, swelling, burning. Your vulva can swell up if you're having sex with a yeast infection and it is not comfortable. So just avoid having sex while you're getting treated is probably the best bet. If you're feeling super daring, you can try it out and, you know, see how you feel. But generally, I would recommend waiting. How do you prevent a yeast infection? Avoiding unnecessary antibiotics can help prevent a yeast infection, right? So like every time we get a cold, for example, you don't need antibiotics all the time. Other recommendations include changing out of damp clothes immediately, because yeast love moisture. So if you're going out to the gym, going to the gym and you have a really vigorous workout and you're feeling really kind of sweaty, try not to sit in those clothes for too long. Also, avoid clothes or garments that fit tightly on the crotch. So you can let your, excuse me, let your vulva and vagina breathe. Let them breathe. And wearing cotton crotch underwear can be helpful or none at all. So I would often tell my patients, you know, at night, there's no need to wear underwear. If you're, you know, if you're not like on your period, for example, and you're not wearing pads or tampons, you might not want to wear underwear. Don't wear underwear. Just let everything breathe and just be a little drier. And that can help potentially prevent a yeast infection, especially if you're someone that has a history of yeast infections. And lastly, good vulvovaginal vaginal hygiene helps as well. Avoid scented feminine products and douching. And you know, the scented feminine products can just provide another something that can irritate the vulva in the vagina. And douching, I know we've talked about douching at nauseam, but douching disrupts that environment that exists, that harmony between all of the microorganisms, the yeast and the bacteria in the vagina, and can cause an overgrowth of any of those things. Can a yeast infection affect pregnancy? Yeast infections are more common during pregnancy due to the increase. Uh, estrogen that change in your hormones, which can also change the pH balance of your vagina. But this shouldn't affect your pregnancy. If you're pregnant, we do avoid using the oral antifungals by mouth. And usually we treat with an over-counter, over-the-counter uh, product like a seven-day suppository or something like that. So how do you know if it's yeast? Like, how do I know if it's yeast or not something else? Really consulting with your doctor, your healthcare provider is gonna be the best way to get a definitive diagnosis because there are times where we self-treat and because we are so convinced it's this one thing and then ultimately you go and like, it wasn't that thing and you find that you wasted time or you allowed your symptoms to get worse. So if you really wanna find out, if you're not quite sure, definitely consult your healthcare provider. Well, what about probiotics? Like, I've heard a lot about probiotics, right? Haven't you heard a lot about probiotics and using them for your vaginal health? It remains controversial. We kind of talked about this with bacterial vaginosis as well in the last podcast. So, ACOG, this is the governing body for the OBGYNs, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, recommends against probiotics for the prevention of yeast infections, citing a lack of benefit. However, Studies have shown, some studies have shown that probiotics such as lactobacillus rhamnosus can kill yeast in the vagina and help return the vagina um, back to its normal microbiome. Probiotics may also help restore your vaginal pH. Other therapies that have been mentioned or recommended include things like yogurt. You may have heard of that. Um, I remember in residency, people putting like yogurt on tampons, for example, and inserting them into the vagina. Um, garlic, tea, tea, tea tree oil, and a low carbohydrate diet, and there really isn't enough evidence to recommend them more research is needed with that said you may have tried these things and i think all of those things are pretty low risk if you've tried them and you and they work for you you know continue to have a conversation with your healthcare provider because we're just sharing information here i'm not giving you medical advice but if something works for you and it's not causing any problems and it's not harmful or hazardous, then it's probably fine to be able to keep doing that. Remember, we're all individuals. We all have different bodies. And though a number of things are true, sometimes things just work a little different for one person and not the other person. So something to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind, and I can't stress this enough, is that it's not always yeast even if you have yeast yeast symptoms, even if you were convinced that it's yeast. So if there's any doubt, and even if there's not doubt, and you're pretty sure, consulting your healthcare provider is probably a good bet. And I think that's it. We covered a lot about yeast infections, and hopefully we've done that in a, in a quick amount of time, at least short enough to maintain your attention. Now remember, the conversation doesn't have to end here. If something comes up, you have a question, you know how to reach out to me, okay? Don't forget to subscribe to the blog, the podcast. It's available on Apple, Stitcher, Audible, iHeartRadio, Amazon TuneIn, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow me on Instagram at ladypartsdoc, L-A-D-Y-P-A-R-T-S-D-O-C. And that's a pretty easy way to just send a message or put a comment if you have questions about something, Um, Twitter, everything. Let me know if you have any questions or if you have any stories or ideas you want to share by emailing. I cannot stress enough that I love it when we chat and I love it when you let me know and give me feedback. About what you want to talk about next time. So, if you want to email me, it's drhack, Dr. Hack, at ladypartsdoctor, all spelled out, dot com. Until next time.